Welcome to the Building Sustainably podcast, where we explore building high-performance, sustainable homes. Join us each episode to hear from top industry experts on green construction practices and innovative home designs with the core purpose of positively impacting people's lives. Here's your host, Tim O'Brien. Welcome to this episode of Building Sustainably with Tim O'Brien Homes. As always, I'm your host, Tim O'Brien. Today's episode is dedicated to the theme of this podcast, and that is building sustainably. Whether you're building a more sustainable home, a more sustainable organization, or a more sustainable lifestyle for yourself or your family, today's guest will get your mind thinking on how to develop a strong framework for beginning your journey in sustainability. Now, whether you're taking a current journey in sustainability or one that you're going to take to a new level, I think today is going to leave you with a lot of great information to help you craft your strategy. Our guest today is Olivia Fritz. Olivia is the Senior Environmental Project Engineer with the Kohler Company, another great, innovative Wisconsin organization that has a vision to have a net zero environmental impact in the world by 2035. Now, that's less than 15 years from now. It's a pretty large goal and a very impactful initiative for Kohler. Olivia is here today to share Kohler's sustainability story and what the organization is doing to reach their net zero goal by 2035. Hello, Olivia, and welcome to the Building Sustainably podcast. Hi, Tim. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here today. Um, I just thought I'd give you a little bit of background on my experience, my time with Kohler, I've been there for about seven years now. I went to work for Kohler straight out of college at UW-Madison. And my role primarily now focuses on sustainable design engineering and really how we advance um, thinking about chemicals of concern in our products and how we design to reduce those chemicals of concern, as well as looking at managing our environmental and human health product transparency documents, which go out to customers. So. Um, design for environment is really the core of what we're doing, and I'm excited to talk more about how that fits into our strategy. Now, I know Kohler started out in other areas of uh, manufacturing 100 years or more or so ago, but we've we've now evolved into this low flow fixtures and water reduction seems to be more of a focus in the plumbing industry for years now. And how has this idea of sustainability evolved? at Kohler? Yeah, let me give you maybe a little bit of background on Kohler Company and then kind of our journey. So um, for those that don't know, we started in 1873 and began as a tiny machine shop and foundry in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Um, and that was by John Michael Kohler. And uh, they were originally making plows and other farm implements. So we've you know, gone a little bit away from that today. Uh, John Michael Kohler was an Austrian immigrant. And in 1883, he actually, they enameled a cast iron horse trough with a powder coating of his own invention, put four legs on it and sold it as a bathtub. So according to company lore, that first bathtub was actually sold to a local farmer for one cow and 14 chickens. So kind of an interesting way to start a, a company that now really focuses on kitchen and bath, but we have other businesses. But that's what we're most known for. Um, today, there are four businesses, Kitchen and Bath, Power, which makes engine, engines and generators, decorative products, and then hospitality, which many people don't really know us for. Um, it's a really unique company. Um, 
since we make everything from bathtubs to chocolates and even brandy, uh, really interesting to work for. And we even have a yoga and cycling studio. So a variety of areas that we're in. And I would say, you know, the company's views on the environment and sustainability can be traced back throughout our entire history. So Walter Kohler, he'd actually served as president of the company um, and also served as a term for governor of Wisconsin. Uh, and he is, was quoted as saying, so-called free goods, such as sunshine and fresh air, may be of more real worth than most economic goods. And I think this quote is pretty extraordinary, considering when you think about what was happening in America at the time that he said that um, heavy manufacturing was on the upturn after the Great Depression, mass production of consumer goods. Um, that was kind of the, the norm. Um, and mining of, you know, a lot of mining of raw materials to produce these goods was done with the, no, the notion that the Earth's resources were finite. Um, and so today, I would say that you know, conservation and environmental sustainability remains part of our company ethos. And, you know, we're still trying to figure out how do we do that on a larger scale? I think many companies are looking at that right now. Um, our president and CEO today is David Kohler. And he continues that legacy of trying to connect business and environmental sustainability. And one of his quotes, which I think is you know, really showing his leadership here, is that the world needs leaders to stand up and lead by example. It's okay to be a capitalist and an industrialist and environmentalist at the same time, but we're challenged with figuring out how do we do that. Um, and so you know, your question to low flow fixtures and kind of water reduction being something that was started at. Um, you know, everyone in the plumbing industry has been focusing on that. And that's something that people associate water with plumbing fixtures, right? And faucets. Um, but now it's kind of old news and, and there's more that we need to look at. More things that we're looking at um, beyond just a single attribute. So we always say water quality is a single attribute. But when we're looking at multi-attributes, we need to focus on things like carbon reduction and water stewardship, moving beyond just reducing water to looking at how we're uh, how do we have healthy watersheds and material use efficiency? So kind of do, does every pro product and, and materials that we're putting into our product, does that go into the finished product or do we have a lot of waste left over um, as well as material health? So looking at chemicals of concern, I think there's more and more concern nowadays about what's going in on and around us, you know, in our bodies and what we're purchasing. So we're, we're moving from, just looking at reduction of impacts to doing more good. Um, so you might say positive by design is really our new strategy. Um, I love that positive by design. So, I mean, as we get, you know, we think about the water piece, there's like you mentioned, there's a much bigger role that Kohler's playing in, um, in our, in our world, in our state here uh, and, and in our industry. And I'd like to learn a little bit more about kind of the uh, product life cycle and how you guys take a look at product life cycle, uh, how it ties into the overall sustainability strategy that Kohler has? Yeah, that's a great question. So we use something called life cycle analysis to think about products and impacts from a life cycle perspective. So instead of looking at just our own manufacturing impacts of our facilities, how do we take kind of a bird's eye view to the impacts throughout the entire um, product life cycle? So that would be from raw material extraction. So the mining, um, the impacts of the mining and, and the material transport 
through um, our own manufacturing processes or our supplier manufacturing, as well as the consumer use phase. So when you purchase a product, how much energy, how much water, what are you know how much waste, what are the impacts of that over the entire life cycle, as and then end of life. You know, so is it um, can it be reused? Can it be um, disposed of in a different way than just going to the landfill? And the reason why we like to do that, and and why we're looking at design for environment. And making differences there is because 80% of a product's impacts are determined during product development. You know, when you're designing a product, you can pull these different levers if you understand where those hot spots are throughout the life cycle. And that can help you design a product so that you are taking that into consideration, not just, you know, let's lower the water usage, but maybe this material that we're putting into the product has really high toxicity during the mining stage. And it's affecting people in a different country, um, or you're using this material that we're starting to know more about that could have uh, toxicity concerns. So the company must understand its impact from a life cycle perspective to target hotspots and find these biggest areas of opportunity. And when we can give product development teams an idea of where these hotspots are, whether it's for greenhouse gas emissions, water, solid waste, or toxicity concerns, they can then better target their ideation and innovation sessions and product development around those hotspots. And that ties into our sustainability strategy because then we, um, on the output of product development, we actually measure ourselves against a baseline product. So what did the consumer, what would the consumer purchase in the market if it weren't for the product that we're launching? And is our product lower in impact um, in all, all four categories, which are, I had mentioned kind of greenhouse gas, water stewardship, uh, solid waste or material efficiency, and human health. Is our product lower in impact than the baseline product in at least one category and not worse than any of the others? And that's a way to then tie to our sustainability strategy. Are we, are we actually be becoming positive by design? And not just comparing to our own product or the previous version, but what was in the marketplace. Because in order to drive true sustainability, we need to look at it from the customer perspective and give them a more sustainable option. So you had mentioned uh, design for environment a couple times, um, and I've heard that topic before, but I'm not as familiar with it, obviously, as you and Kohler are. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? And then how have you integrated that into the business? How has Kohler integrated that into the business? Yeah, definitely. Design for environment is not a term specific to Kohler Company. There are many, I would say, manufacturers that are really focused on this process. And really what it is, it's a process to put data behind understanding the life cycle impacts, like I mentioned, identifying those hot spots, and then using that as a way for product development, or you can look at it from operations or a supply chain perspective as well, but, but using that to target areas that, you're, that you want to improve on and innovate around that. And so... Um, you know, it's really an innovation process to think about sustainability from the beginning rather than as and the aftermath um, and, and then measure those based off metrics. And so how we're integrating that is you know, you, having leadership commitment around this process and, and setting metrics and goals to help drive this into our company culture. And, you know, there are many champions that help this process. It's not definitely something that cannot be run by a sustainability team by itself. It has to be integrated so that each function, say marketing, industrial design, mechanical and you know, engineering, um, 
sales, like all understand their piece of this and what they can do to help. Um, Everyone brings a different perspective and has different ideas and what we can do to innovate around sustainability. So having this focused discussion during product development helps you make that a priority and then allows you to kind of bring those things that you, those outputs that you can um, integrate into the design process, bring that into your scope. So um, we're really tying it into our strategy by setting metrics and goals. And, And one of those goals is that by the end of 2021, Kohler plans to have design for environment um, integrated and implemented within all Kohler brand product launches so that teams have to be thinking about and integrating design for environment into their product development process. And then the key result of that will eventually be that you know, we'll have to have all positive by design products upon launch. So first, you have to start thinking about sustainability and, and, and getting um, that integrated. And then longer term is that we're actually showing improvement in on sustainability by launching products that are positive by design. And that's kind of how it integrates into our overall sustainability strategy. It's the importance of really getting that upfront in the planning phase is from an execution point of view. And really with any great change within an organization, it really has started a leadership level, all levels of leadership, really, um, as you mentioned. So talk to me a little bit about Kohler's long-term goals. You know, um, we, we talked just at the onset of the of the podcast here, you know, the the net zero impact by 2035. But, you know, looking at the long term goals as it relates to sustainability and the products and the environment, you know, where's Kohler in this journey? Yeah, I would really say that we are leading in this area, but we're still at the very beginning because we have figured out process, but now we need to embed that process and really drive metrics and education into the company culture. Our goal is really to make sustainability a consideration during product development and um, you know, in operations and supply chain, just as time to market, cost, quality are things that we consider. We want to make that on the same level, right? So that we're not just talking about the cost and kind of market quality, but sustainability helps drive those conversations. And as far as specific goals, you know, I mentioned that we're embedding design for environment in all Kohler branded products, which eventually leads to positive by design products. So we're giving, you know, implementing this process. And first of all, we're starting with new product development, because like I said, that's where 80% of the impacts are designed into the products. But we also need to bring this into our manufacturing operations so they can understand what changes they can make in our supply chain. And you know, as more and more companies move development um, to overseas and, and to other suppliers, just as part of the global economy, we need to make sure that we're educating our suppliers on this and bringing that in, into those conversations when we're selecting suppliers, making sure they're good partners in sustainability, that they have goals and metrics as well, and that it ties into what we're looking so, um, we, you know, net zero greenhouse gas emissions in collaborations by 2035 is a large goal of ours, but there are many other things that we're working on to lead us into the future to have more sustainable products and be partnering with the right people to drive those goals um, forward in the long run. Yeah, so it's not just the people with inside the, the walls of the organization of Kohler, it's it's everybody that's involved in the supply chain, like you mentioned, from people 
other parts of the world in their manufacturing environment where the raw materials come from. I mean, that's a big initiative. That's a very big initiative. Um, and again, I applaud you guys for doing it. Um, but look, I want to shift a little bit to the consumer side of of our conversation here and talk about product transparency and the importance that it has in building trust between the businesses and consumers. Can you talk to me a little bit why that's so important? Yeah, so transparency has become a trend, I would say. just is, It's a trendy word right now in, in business and in uh, how we talk about what we want to convey to consumers and being authentic brand. But when we're talking about transparency in, in this sense, it's really around environmental impact information as well as material health information. So providing kind of a report card on how are we doing here? Um, what are the greenhouse gas emissions of this product from the life cycle perspective? What are what are the ingredients in this product per se that you need to think about? And are there any of concern to you and your family? Really what this does, it helps create um, trust, you know, be, because it's factual data-driven outcomes of design for environment that are the report card. And um, our product transparency documents, such as an environmental product declaration or declare label, are third-party verified. So it's not just Kohler saying, here's what it is. It's outside Others from the outside looking in, such as UL, you know, just like companies that that can see what we're doing and and basically validate what this says. And today, most of these documents, I would say, are used by the A and D, the architect and design community, to help uh, basically gain points towards green building certification, such as LEED, Living Building Challenge. Um, but I see in the future that hopefully we can make this data more simple and, and easy to understand, so that the average Maybe even the retail consumer can help that can help drive their decisions on what products they're purchasing as well. So, um, you know, it, it just helps show that we know what our impacts are and that we're using that to design better products. If we just had transparency on its own, it wouldn't really be making showing that we're making more sustainable products. But through having that documentation, consumers can understand here's what we're doing, and then also knowing that we are we are driving towards more sustainable outcomes with design for environment. We, we talk about the importance of a third party, third party certification or something that is accredited that really backs up what you say you're doing. And again, I think that's so important for the transparency to come across to consumers that, yeah, there's somebody else that came in that has a program that comes into our operation, our organization, be able to look at it and said, yep, Everything that you're telling the public is true and it's backed up by science or backed up by some other accredited program. So um, as we talk about design for environment, uh, share some examples of, of kind of that, you know, the use of design environment has led to more kind of environmentally favorable products that have come out of Kohler. Yeah, I have a couple of different examples. One um, that really you know, I'm excited about is this was actually more with kind of a supply chain, supply-based change with supplier sustainability. And so the team had to, this is for vanities that we make. So um, like a vanities and Medcav's med team, but the team had to switch suppliers. They knew they had to switch suppliers for you know specific reasons. And so we, as they were making this change, we held a design for environment innovation strategy session. We said, okay, as you're switching suppliers, like you, we know you're not going to be changing the design of this product very much, but there are certain things such as materials um, and, and other things we can ask the suppliers about that we could look at innovating around. And when you're looking at different suppliers, how can you ask specific questions to evaluate the suppliers on? And so we identified some hotspots and looked at the competitive 
um, landscape as well to see what what do consumers want, what are they asking for in this space. And one thing we identified is that that these vanities had previously been made with um, oil based coating, right? So uh, the the paint and the, and the coating of that was oil based. That typically has high VOCs. Uh, there's more off gassing during manufacturing. And what we've been seeing is that there were several brands out there and 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 that were really marketing water-based coatings. And I think that's pretty common knowledge that water-based is going to have less VOCs. But in this um, products category, it hadn't really been something that had been targeted and focused on. So we asked the team, you know, maybe this is something you can look at as you're switching suppliers. And so they did, and they talked to the supplier about it. They chose a supplier that was excited to be using water-based finishes instead of oil-based because that's better for their manufacturing team for their employees as well. And so through lifecycle analysis and, and actually looking at what, okay, compared to the baseline, which was the oil-based finish, now looking at the water-based finish, what are we looking at from an environmental impact standpoint? And during the supplier and manufacturing lifecycle stages, there were, from this switch to water-based coatings, there was 80% less greenhouse gas emissions, 85% reduction in water usage, 40% reduction in solid waste and 60% in human toxicity impacts compared to the phenolic urethane based finish for typical vanity. That's and I think that's really, yeah, it's a really neat example, especially you think like, well, water-based coating, we're actually saving water usage probably because to make that phenolic urethane somewhere in the supplier um, supplier stage, there's a lot of water use and probably a lot of uh, water, you know, polluted water because you're, mixing things and you have toxicity in that as well. So it's a really interesting way to look at something differently. And usually people learn a lot through this process. So that that's one example that I really like. And, and you know, the data behind it shows how great of a change that was. Um, and one other example of design for environment is with a product that's actually launched called the ModFlex Adjustable. And, and the goal of this product was actually Customers needed a retrofit toilet to basically in, in the in the healthcare space, basically for bariatric patients. So as people are getting larger, we have to switch over more rooms to be able to carry a, a larger load. And so we needed a floor-mounted toilet instead of a wall-mounted toilet to carry more load. And when they're looking at it from kind of the whole space of the bathroom, they end what they end up doing is actually making putting more material into the product. And, um, and, and the way they designed it too, they had more material, but, but what it was doing was covering up the scar in the wall when you retrofit the bathroom. So normally when you're retrofitting, you have a bunch of tiles you're going to have to replace. You have some piping in the wall, you're going to have to move. And they actually had this adjustable, um, adjustable piece in the back that helps fit different sizes to, to plug into the wall basically. And so while you added more material, um, you ultimately are going to minimize the amount of time, the amount of cost needed to retrofit this toilet and providing significant material savings to, to kind of cover up because you're already covering up the scar in the wall. You don't have to replace that piece of the wall. So um, for the customer, it's a it's a win win for us. You know, it's, it's a great way to kind of look at things differently. Um, and I think. You know, just being able to we put we put numbers behind that as well to show that while we're adding material, we're still saving long term on the materials and and the environmental impact because 
of the other things that go into that room. So you don't just look at Kohler products in a box, you look at the whole space. And that, that's another like life cycle perspective or systems thinking viewpoint. I mean, you save the you save that in that case, an example, you save the hospital from having a tile person have to come back or a flooring person have to come back and tile these things in because you're essentially can grow that into that space. And like you said, cover up that scar on the wall, so to speak, from where that original, uh, you know, toilet was was mounted. So um, what when you look at um, what type of requests, I guess, we're sticking with the consumers here for a second, what type of requests the customers have for Kohler? Uh, to receive kind of sustainably or sustainability related information. I mean, do you see any trends towards sustainability in different locations based on consumer preferences? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say, um, you know, types of requests we receive, we've been getting more and more requests from the hospitality space. So like large hotel chains, they're trying to understand, you know, how they can meet their sustainability goals. And in turn, they're obviously asking their suppliers Polar being one of them about what what we're doing, and so you know the, the questions that they go into would be a lot of questions that transparency documents can answer, and so like an environmental product declaration answers those life cycle impacts um, from an environmental standpoint, and the declare labels help with material health and ingredient information. I would say, you know, environmental impact and material health are the two primary requests. Sometimes we get more single attribute requests, like what is the recycled content in this. You know, which is was a valid question, but really recycled content doesn't tell you if it's a more sustainable product or not. It's just one single attribute. And you could add a lot of recycled content to something, but it has a, a huge greenhouse gas impact because you have to like crush that material up and grind it and reprocess it. So I, I think we like to see multi-attribute questions and those documents help cover that. But in the hospitality surveys that we've been seeing definitely go into a lot of different attributes that they're trying to understand. And from a um, from a, like a global perspective, I would say you know right now we're seeing most of the requests from North America. I've seen a trend increase from um, maybe China and India also asking more. Um, I think it varies on the level of um, understanding of what they're asking for as well. But you know, LEED, which is the largest green building standard, and is a global standard, so. You know, there may be more regional standards that we get different requests on, but we think we're still trying to understand that because even just getting the word out that we can answer these questions in a, a company as large as Kohler um, takes time. So I'm excited to see what other questions we do get and kind of how this evolves from a global standpoint. But I would say U.S., China, and India, um, probably the, the places we're seeing the largest requests come from right now. So... There is a research and development arm of Kohler that looks at sustainability, as I understand it. And I think you you call it the Waste Lab. Uh, could you talk to us a little bit about what the Waste Lab is? How did it start and how does it, you know, take an in innovation and kind of R&D into consideration when Kohler's looking at products? Yeah, definitely. The Waste Lab was started in probably about 2013 is when the idea started forming. And Teresa Millard at Kohler Company had this idea that, you know, and asked questions, what if we thought about waste as valuable materials for their material properties instead of just something to put in the landfill? And if you can capture these, these um, outputs at the right, right point of time in the manufacturing process where it's not commingled with a lot of other waste materials, you can look at it differently. and. So the waste lab really was was born out of this idea that 
you know, we should, we want to reduce the amount of waste and we want to think about these materials differently. Uh, one thing that she did, which I think was really unique, is she took these waste streams, put them in little jars, and actually brought them to meetings and, and talked about, we actually gathered how much of this material do we have on hand? You know, how much are, do we have? And we're trying to reduce it, obviously, but when you can't reduce, you only reduce so far, you still have this material. So looking at what these were in, in glass jars and how much we actually had to, to make product with helped open executives' eyes to, wow, you know, this is, you know, this, this material is beautiful. It has inherent properties. How could we be creative around this? And so the waste lab really, the first product that they, they started with was tiles because we have a lot of obviously ceramic materials um, and taking some of those, you know, formerly known as waste, waste materials and developing um, beautiful tiles out of them that are, I think, about 99% or more made out of recycled materials that were landfill bound. And um, the colors of the glazes are beautiful. And it's just, it's a really, you know, kind of handcrafted process. And we're still learning how that works if you were to scale it up, because obviously we only have so much waste and we want, we need to think about it from a sustainability perspective that it, it must be positive and in the impacts not be negative, right? If you're having to put more impact into it. But the Waste Lab was really born out of that idea. And today they're they're thinking about it as a fun place for people to come and learn and, and ideate around these materials and think differently about how products are made um, from the normal, normal methodology. And so yeah, if you if you have a chance, I would definitely recommend looking at some of the videos online that kind of tell the full story about it because it's a really really neat, unique um, business model. So that's neat. They're actually using it as an educational resource for people now too, huh? If I heard you right. Yeah, yeah. We have a lot of tours that, you know, before the pandemic, a lot of tours that would go through there and just kind of talk about how this idea got started and people can make their own little tiles and just kind of, you know, help start, start mm-hmm. the seed in their mind about it. Well, that's really neat. I didn't know that. So thank you for sharing that. And, and when this is over, I'd love to get up there and see it. Um, so. T- when you go on this journey, there's a there's obstacles that one comes across in trying to build a sustainability culture into an organization. What what is the hardest part of really getting and embedding that sustainability into into an operation, especially something as big as Kohler? Yeah, there are. You know, it depends on where you're at in your journey, but I would say you know if you kind of start from the the ground up and you have a few people that are interested in it, then it's the leadership buy-in because you're really trying to drive that culture of sustainability into the company. And so you need leadership buy-in at all levels. I mean, if the, if the top of the company is saying something, but the, the middle management doesn't understand what that actually means for actions, that can be hard. And, and also education around what sustainable means. There's lots of attributes. There's lots of you know different things you could look at, but what is most material to the company? Um, and I think we're constantly doing education around that. There's a lot of examples where something was done because it seemed like it was more sustainable, but when you put the data behind it, which is really critical, we understand it may, may have not moved in the right direction. So I would say leadership buy-in, um, but then really understanding what you need to do to be, become more sustainable, what's material to you. And, and then when you dive into that, there's some tough questions you need to ask as a company. You know, we're not doing... We, in order to be to move in the right direction, we may not be doing things the way we did yet last year, the year before, or that we thought we would be doing. And so 
I find myself like challenging the norm and, and being the one in the room to say, okay, is this really the way we want to move? And we need to think about this before we make this shift. I think um, making a, a decision factor, just like I said, t- like at the same level of quality, time to market and cost, that's what we want. But putting that into practice um, brings up tough questions. And so you need quick wins to show why it's important and how you get there. Um, but also you need to be willing to have those conversations. Uh, you, after you have the buy-in, you have to be willing to commit to that and, and move in some different directions. And I think that's you know, the challenge that many companies, they make goals. Like there's so many companies now that have these great sanity goals. They may or may not know how to move towards those goals, but then, you know, kind of making a big shift when they're not used to it, it's difficult for people um, and companies to wrap their minds around. So there's a few elements there, but I think that's that's one of the keys. So then the other side of the coin is what's what's been the easiest part of the journey? What what do you find that people gravitate the most towards? People want to make a difference. And I think we crave that. You know, we want to leave the world a better place and we found it. And sustainability is something that many people are interested in. And I think, you know, either people at the company or people you want to recruit. So engaging champions and finding people who are interested and willing to take on work that they'll even do outside of their normal day job. They'll do on their own free time. People want to work for a company that goes beyond bottom line business and they want to know what they can do. So, you know, once you have that process, I think getting those people interested is is not hard. I think, um, you know, the easiest part is is finding finding champions and uh, getting people engaged. But then you know, how do you actually implement that? What actions do they take? That that becomes a bit more difficult. But that is very positive and, you know, hopeful. To me, it makes me very hopeful because I think people really do care. I think they do too, Olivia. And I, and I totally agree with you. There's got to be something bigger than, again, just the profits or the results that the company's looking for. How, what is the impact that they're making? And I think people want to be part of something that's bigger than who they are, or maybe something that they might not get at another organization. And I think that also attracts really good talent uh, and committed people to your operation. And you could see that in every Kohler person I've ever met, the commitment that's there. Yes. Yeah. I think, and you're spot on. We, we talk a lot about, you know, one of the benefits of, of implementing sustainability and, and having a strategy around that is an employee retention and engagement and recruitment. It's something it's hard to measure. You know, it's it's not very easy to measure that, but it, it is huge. And I, I've been to a lot of career fairs recruiting at colleges, and time and time again, uh, you 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 know, well, I presented once at a conference about sustainability and de- design for environment, and after that, I had probably twenty to thirty people that came to the career fair booth just to talk to me and my and my coworker about what we do because they're like. We want to work for a company that does that. We want to do that. We're really excited. And so um, I think with younger generations, especially um, just what we're facing right now, I think it's it's really exciting to see that. I think, um, yeah, I think it's it's hard to measure, but it's a definitely a benefit for the company um, as far as what what we want to see when we're looking for an employer. Well, that's, that's just fantastic. So um, as you know, we have consumers that are listening to our podcast. So if, if I'm a con- customer and I'm looking to buy products that are, are more sustainable, you know, what's the best place to start? Where, where, where would I look? What advice could you give 
someone like me who might be looking for, you know, a more sustainable product? Yeah, I would first start by saying, you know, that this is said a lot, but reduce, reuse, recycle and rethink, you know, from the from what you're looking at. Um, just looking at getting things differently, looking at ways you can use what you already have or go without there's a big trend towards minimalism right now. And that helps you be more sustainable. We're all, um, you know, you're just purchasing less helps with that, but, um, it's also about taking a longer term view versus a short term view. So, you know, you buy something for durability, buy it for longevity or timeless style and aesthetic appeal. Um, don't, you know, take advantage of those, those short term trends that are going to be old and those fads that will fade after a few years. Um, but really think about what you're investing in for the the long term, and you know that that's uh, can sometimes be a very different change for people. But when you're actually you know out there looking for things, I think also aligning with companies that are showing leadership in this area and setting big, hairy, audacious goals around um, sustainability, because you're then you're investing in the company who is who is showing leadership and moving towards that because. It can be hard to just look at a product and say, is this more sustainable or not? That I mean, I, I look for that all the time and it's hard because there's not a lot of great, especially from the retail perspective, there's not a lot of great information out there. And it's even much of the information that's out there. It's not from a life cycle perspective. It's not third party verified. It's single attribute. Um, and to me, I look at that and just from my background, I know that, that doesn't really mean much <laughs> sometimes. So you know, you can look at the mess, look beyond the messaging really um, towards what the company is doing. But also, if there are third party verification um, or third party certification claims, you you look for those. Um, there are certain websites that can help you sort through this, but I would say, you know, it's it, it's not easy. So that's why I recommend reduce, reuse, recycle, or think how you're doing things. Do some looking. You know, there's a lot of great resources online for ways to just become a more sustainable consumer. And and looking for those brands that are moving in the right direction, or um, you know, just yeah, I think learning learning from online. There's a lot there, um, but but thinking about the long term view. Um, one example is you know buying buying clothes from thrift shops or um, buying more local produce from a community supported agricultural um, share. There's a lot of things you can do, but it yeah, it would say it's still not easy today to understand. From a product level, what is more sustainable? So, from a from a business point of view, if a business is like, you know, what this is something that we need to do, uh, we need to become a more sustainable uh, organization. We want to create this culture within our operation that gets people thinking this way. Where does one start? Yeah, I would say, you know, if you're just getting started, it really depends on where you're at in the journey. But if you're just getting started. Think about the easy things that help create a mindset and culture of sustainability, such as do we offer recycling? Um, you know, can we create a, a drop spot for community supported agricultural share, like local produce? But that, you know, that's just really kind of creating a mindset to think about it. That's really not going to make the biggest difference long term, but it's something you can actually work on. And then you'll need to invest in getting data to understand where your hotspots are from an environmental impact standpoint. Um, something called a materiality assessment helps with that, basically showing you know, from your company's perspective and what, what industry you're in, um, where should you be focusing? And it really depends on your business and what you do. But um, you know, 
what level of leadership are you at? What, what kind of responsibility do you have? I think, um, you know, if you're at, if you're at a leadership level, you can do a lot more through, you know, maybe hiring consultants and just to get an understanding of where to get started. But even the cultural pieces can help start create that mindset, but eventually you're going to need the data because that's going to help you actually implement into your business practice rather than just maybe the office practice of recycling. So kind of maybe regardless of where you are within the operation, you can get started. But I think one of the key things is you really got to get leadership's buy-in. Yes. That, yeah, right? I think definitely you need leadership to support it and need in order to be a large initiative to make a, a big difference. And and metrics around that, you know, as a big company, if you don't have metrics around something and someone's not being measured on it, it's going to be hard for us to get it done. In um, sustainability, you will, get, you will get somewhere because people want it to happen. But from a large um, leadership and, and, and really shifting, shifting your culture perspective, you need to get that buy-in. So sustainability is a growing field. And, and um, like you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of people that after you do a, a segment on what Kohler's doing, they come up to you and you know, are interested in getting a job essentially in the same space. You know, for our listeners who may be interested in a career in sustainability, you know, where do they go to find more information to kind of start their journey? Yeah, I have a few thoughts on that. I think more and more universities now are offering courses and, you know, majors or minors in this field. So I would recommend, you know, before you would look into something, actually finding a job you'd be interested in having, doing some research online, you know, looking at what requirements and recommendations are so you can start to figure out what kind of skills you might need to have. But also, you know, one way to do that is going to LinkedIn. Find people who have interesting jobs. This can be said about anything, but find someone who has an interesting job and see what their journey was. Where did they start? What kind of skills do they have? What um, organizations are they a part of? There are a lot of professional organizations that you can get involved with to just kind of get plugged in. Send them a message and see if you can get 15 to 30 minutes of their time to learn more. You know, LinkedIn is a great tool for that to just get free advice. I think many people like to talk about what they do because they're excited and passionate about it, especially. In this field, I find it to be very open towards you know sharing advice, and um, we want more people in this field, right? We need to we need more to make a difference. So, I would say that. But there's also you know YouTube videos that explain more about this, documentaries, and and really find your passion. Like, what topic are you interested in? Because sustainability um, covers such a wide range of of fields. And so many areas you get involved with. And if you find something that you enjoy and you want to learn more about it, I think that will line up for you with finding a career path and, and continuing to learn more and get involved with that. Um, one of the things that was really interesting for me was there was not a lot when I was in school that to help you focus on this area, but there was a class that was called um, you know, Topics of Sustainability. And really they brought in experts in different fields. So one was in kind of um, rainforest management and and kind of how to save our rainforest. And another was in life cycle assessment. That's how I learned about life cycle assessment. Another one was was in an app that helped show how many miles your food traveled to get to you. And just learning about all those different things helped me hone in on what my interests were and even what was out there. Because there's so many things we just don't even realize, you know, especially at a young age when you're looking for what to do. So I think really just trying things out, learning, and, and there's more and more resources now in this area as, you know, if, if you just look, look around. So that would be my recommendation. 
Well, Olivia, thank you so much uh, for being a part of our show. This has been great. Um, Olivia Fritz with Kohler. To learn more about Kohler's uh, plan, you can visit their website, the uh, KohlerCompany.com forward slash sustainability. Again, Olivia, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the Building Sustainably podcast. For additional information, resources, and inspiration on how to build your new high-performance home, head over to timobrienhomes.com. Building for the way you live.